Audio. This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm recording in the lovely Feral Audio Studios. I have a great guest, someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a while, and it's finally happened. (laughs) Author, host, journalist, Alicia Malone. Hello. Thank you so much for having me and for being patient. Absolutely. As I was writing, I didn't leave the house, so I appreciate (laughs) you waiting a couple of months to have me on, but I'm excited. No, I was thrilled uh, because not only did I want you on the podcast, but you are willing to communicate with me over email, which I prefer. (laughs) Of course. And in like full sentences with periods. (laughs) Every once in a while, you'd actually sign off. Yeah, I try. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes forget to sign off or sometimes I'll do the little X, you know, the little kiss face and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't because that's a work email. But uh, I'm the same. I like emails, messages. When someone calls me, I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah, I can't. Why are you calling me? I won't remember. Remember this? Yeah, exactly. I just remember the horror. Exactly. That my phone rang. <laughs> Forgot that noise. I had it's to hide from noise. it in yeah, case exactly. they saw me on the other end somehow. <laughs> um, so you, yeah, you've been busy. You've been traveling around. You have uh, a book to promote, yes, right? So tell yes. us a little bit about the book. We'll plug it again, but it deserves to be plugged twice. So Thank I want to hear you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. So this is my first book, and I got. Um, well, firstly, it's always been a dream to write a book, and I was talking to Chris Stuckman, who has his own book. And I was saying, you know, that's always been my secret dream. I haven't really shared much of my writing before. Oh, wow. from, okay. I've been published in film magazines and I've written blogs and things, but I've always written on the side and just been a little bit shy to say that I'm a writer. Okay. Because uh, that feels like, you know, someone, you know, Hemingway or something. <laughs> <laughs> or David Sedaris, who I I'm a tortured genius. soul. Yeah, exactly. And I want to tell you about it at parties. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was talking to him about his book and I said, you know, that's always been my secret dream. And he said, well, if you like, I could let my publishers know because they're always looking for people. And so then he let them know. They checked out some of my stuff, saw my TEDx talk that I did talking about women in film, and they approached me and said, would you be interested in writing a book and exploring the subject further? And I had a couple of different ideas of how to do it. Ended up doing a story which is it's called Backwards and in Heels, and really it's a collection of stories okay. from women throughout Hollywood history from the very, very beginning of American cinema right up till now and a little bit of future gazing. And each era I've picked, you know, four or five interesting stories about women who've done amazing things or women who've tried to do amazing things but they've been held back or women who are working in the industry to try and get more women in. And men as well, by the way. I spoke to J.J. Abrams and Paul Feig specifically for the book because they're two huge champions of women. And there's so many great men working in Hollywood too. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to get it. Amazon is already telling me I should buy it and I agree with Amazon. Good. Thanks, Amazon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'll buy it right away. Now, obviously, there's a huge element of uh, just journalism to it. Is there uh, an element of the personal from you? Or are you really just an observer of the... Really uh, just an observer. I I started to put some of that in, and then I just thought, this is a bit too self-indulgent. Okay. (laughs) And the most interesting thing were the, the people themselves. So I do an introduction where I explain... You know, how I grew up loving classic movies and why I love classic movies, why I love the women in the classic movies, and uh, why I wanted to write the book and stuff that I've done in my career. And then I've just focused on the women and the facts, but try to tell it in hopefully compelling ways. Okay. Yeah. Focus on the women and the facts is a pretty good pull quote.
quote. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for a lot of things in life. Uh, for my listeners here on Upsets who might not know you, those poor ignorant fools, uh, what what is your career? I, I mean, I know bits yeah. and pieces of it from our mutual friends and seeing you on social media, but uh-huh. I don't know like what you consider like your main noun. Like, yeah, it's do you consider hard. yourself a host, a journalist? It's just really a... hard to describe because I don't call myself a critic because I don't publish reviews yeah. regularly anymore. I used to. Um, I... I don't necessarily call myself a TV host because I only host and talk about film-specific things. So okay. you'd never see me hosting, you know, an entertainment show or like a American Idol or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> right. That's never been something that I've wanted to do. Uh, so I call myself a film reporter. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> journalist as well feels like I should have studied journalism, which I okay. didn't. I didn't even go to university. So I say film reporter, um, and that sort of encompasses both the hosting side of things. I work for Filmstruck, which is a streaming app. It's the right. home of the Criterion Collection. And so I fly to Atlanta once a month and I shoot 40 or 50 intros for the movies that are showing Damn. on Filmstruck. And then it's kind of an added extra. I'm not sure how many people watch the intros, but I have heard good feedback from people who like seeing, you know, what they're about to watch or find out more after they've watched the film. There's a little added extra. It's like hosted intro and you click on that. Oh, nice. Because I do some interviews for them too. And then I work for Fandango where I host a weekly show called Fandango Indie Movie Guide, and I shoot it in my apartment, and I edit it all myself. It's very lo-fi, very indie, but completely my choices and everything that I want to talk about. And then for them, also, I do press junkets, where those kind of, uh, I call it like speed dating (laughs) with no result, where you just go into these hotel rooms, you have four minutes with the stars to talk about their latest project. It's even in a hotel room. Yeah, Yeah, even in hotel rooms. Creepy speed dating, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And do you struggle, and then we'll get into your obsession, do you make an effort to try to come up with questions that they are not being asked again and again? Is that really the whole game? It's really hard, but I mean, I spend hours researching more than I should probably, and then chuck it out when I go in there. But (laughs) um, just to have that in your head really helps. But it's a difficult balance because there are certain things that you need to get from them in order for the finished piece to make sense. Right. If someone's coming along and they don't know anything about Cars 3, right? <laughs> so what are the things that they need to know before they decide whether to buy their ticket on yeah. Fandango or not? So there are certain things that, of course, everyone's going to ask them, but I try to think about a different way to phrase the question okay. or a different way to get that answer or a different answer that will also explain the film. Um, and I, I find, as you well know from doing this podcast, the conversation is, it helps a lot yeah. if you can structure it like a conversation. Same time, you've got to be aware that it's going to be edited. So you need to have, you know, I'll, I'll often, you know, at, they'll answer and I'll say something, pause before I ask my next question, <laughs> just to have that clean edit point. Yeah. So it's that really tricky thing of wanting to be interesting, same time, some actors don't want to deviate from their sound bites. Sometimes they don't want to play a game. Yeah. They're tired. Sometimes they just want to talk about the movie. Uh, so it's always really hard, I think, enthusiasm. And the accent helps a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm always impressed by that because, you know, on, on Obsessed and then other game show things I've done, I sometimes ask people, like, really easy, like, just let's have a conversation questions. And sometimes mm-hmm. I ask them 
hard, dumb, weird, gamey questions. Yeah. It's like, come up with a tw- twist, funny answer. And sometimes people are like, yeah, no, I'm not I here can't. for that today. Exactly. And imagining getting that energy from like a star that you admire of like. Yeah. It kind of feels a bit like you're saying, come on, dance, monkey, dance. And yeah. Perform for me. <laughs> you know, and they've been sitting there all day. They've probably had 50 other interviews before you. And yeah. Sometimes they're just really tired. Cars so 3 I think is a they, great film. Yeah, exactly. Please leave me alone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you, if they can tell that you're listening and that you actually care about what they're saying, uh, that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I will try to keep in mind all of your good interviewing points as I interview <laughs> you about your obsession. So uh, you offer me a lot of great obsessions, but I did <laughs> want to you. go into sort of like the, what seems to be your main thing, which is classic movies mm-hmm. in general, classic films, and Turner Classic Movies specifically within that? Yes. So can you tell me about like the first time you saw a classic film and the first time you realize this is different and I like it. I can't remember the first time because I was that young. Okay. You know, my dad loved classic movies and my whole family loves movies, but I remember my dad specifically recording a lot of classic movies and telling us to watch a lot of classics and I didn't quite realize it was a weird thing until I would talk about it at school (laughs) and my friends would be like that's a boring black and white movie and they'll be talking about Star Wars or or something that was more current uh, in the cinema and I'd be like no but Citizen Kane (laughs) Um, but my dad I do remember one night specifically where I was asleep and he woke me up to take me out of bed to watch a Hitchcock film. Uh, I think it was Rear Window, and he sat me down, and and he was like, this is Alfred Hitchcock. This is why he (laughs) is important, and this is is what makes this movie great, and look out for this moment, look out for that moment. And it's funny now when I watch classic movies with my friends, I'm super annoying because I'm like, now watch for this shot, and then this (laughs) bit means this. Uh, I'm glad that a lot of them don't seem to mind because I think I've picked up that trait. But, yeah, from a very, very young age, I started watching classic movies to the point where it actually feels like home yeah. and I get that nostalgia feel by watching these films. So you obviously had your your father specifically and mm-hmm. I, I would imagine other members of your family to share it with? Yeah, you yeah, have siblings? my two sisters, okay. two older sisters and we all loved movies, we all loved classics. I remember learning the dance moves for Gentlemen for Blondes with <laughs> Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell with my big sister Yvette and we would do it over and over again in the living room and then perform them. <laughs> And so there was always movies. It was always our living room was filled with piles of VHS tapes. And my dad was a bit of a hoarder. So he would just record everything and you weren't allowed to tape over it. It was like, I haven't finished with that yet. Yeah. Did he have a system for his recording? (laughs) Not really, no. It was all haphazard and they were all kind of in these precarious towers of VHS (laughs) tapes that could just fall over at any moment. Okay. Uh, But he would record them and he would record the intros for the films, which were given by this guy called Bill Collins, who was an Australian film critic. And so he would do these intros to set up the movies. And I remember even at a young age, I would learn the intros and kind of do it with them, him, not knowing that that's a a job or what I could end up doing in the future, just thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Did you realize like, oh, he's Australian and most of the people in the movies I'm watching aren't and that's cool? Was there a connection there? Yeah. Yeah, there was a connection there. I mean, I... I grew up knowing about Hollywood and having that really I- idea of uh, glamour in Hollywood. Yeah. And knowing that all the movies, well, most of the movies were American, watched a lot of foreign films as well, 
French films, Japanese films, and a lot of English movies too. Because in Australia we had the influx of okay. America and English uh, productions, but also some Aussie films too. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you since you had your family, did you try to convert friends, mm-hmm. or uh, and were you successful? I tried to convert them, was not successful. <laughs> <laughs> what did you At use? All. Like, what was your what was your go to movie or your angle? Like, guys, guys, you don't get it. Yeah. They're classier, or yeah. it's a portal into another world, or like, what was your argument of well, why they I should still, try it? I still do this now. It's it's taking a cl- uh, a current movie and saying, well, if you like this movie, then you'll like this old movie. <laughs> so you just Netflix category <laughs> Yeah, them. I do, and I Way still before. do that now. I'm still like, you know, guys, if you like Logan, you should really check out Shane, the Western, you know. The movie that was in the movie Logan, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. the, the influencers. So uh, I used to do that a lot. Um, I've spoken about this before, but I had a film club at school <laughs> that I created myself. I found an old badge, school badge lying on the ground, I think, for sports captain or something. I got out some white out. <laughs> white, white, like, she scribbled it out, wrote with a Sharpie, um, film club president. Wore it very proudly. And then I would get up in assembly every week in front of 150 students and tell them why they needed to come and see a screening of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Or okay. <laughs> all these old movies. No one came. No one came. Really? Yeah. And then the school principal asked me not to get up in assembly anymore <laughs> because it wasn't, wasn't an important enough message that I need to tell the entire school. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm curious about this because it is parallel to, I, I think, a little bit uh, of a older version of the nerd experience where, you know, people weren't as vocal mm-hmm. about liking things, even though we all got older and figured out, oh, crap, everybody did like it. <laughs> Nobody yeah. told each other. Um, did you feel ostracized socially or was it just a, oh, that that's, we all like Alicia and that's this silly thing she does. Or was it like she is will, weird film yeah. president woman? Yeah, it it was like you know it was like okay, Alicia is weird, um, but definitely felt that that idea of being the nerd and being the outsider and not understanding why other people didn't like the things that I liked. Yeah, and also I think I always battled with the feeling of yeah, I didn't want to go out on a Friday night and and go out to parties and meet <laughs> boys. I wanted to stay at home and watch movies. Yeah, and I still do that today. I'm like, no, I just want to watch movies at home by myself. And um and I do remember that we used to have these. Uh, movie marathon nights uh, that they would put on at the local theatre around holiday weekends okay. where they play movies from 6pm to 6am. And I would get so excited about going and I would take my friends along. As soon as the movie started, they would sneak out and they'd go out all night with boys. <laughs> they'd go drinking, smoking, do all this stuff and then come back at just when it ended and be like, okay, Alicia, tell us what were the movies, what were they about? So they could go home to their parents and then essentially use me as an alibi. Wow. And I just did not understand. Well, firstly, they they didn't invite me because they knew I wouldn't come, but I didn't understand why they'd want to leave the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, if you but, want to smoke and drink, that's probably going to happen in these movies. Yeah, I yeah. was like, you already just want to stay here. I brought my little duvet and I had yeah. my little like thermos full of soup and I was good to go. <laughs> thermos full of soup. I was a huge uh, nerd, really. Well, yeah, it's very wholesome. Was it <laughs> yeah. like chicken noodle, too? <laughs> I think it was like vegetables. Okay, nothing too spicy, though. Nothing too spicy. Uh, so you, you kind of got to be a film reporter then for your friends. Yeah. Who wanted yeah, to run around 
around smoking and uh, hanging out with boys. Yeah, I'd tell them the, the points, the, the kind of reviews of them all, <laughs> and then they would just use me as alibi. Did you ever have a time in your life then as you were growing up where you sort of chilled on the classic films or mm-hmm. rejected it? Just, I mean, because I, I think sometimes when people get something from really handed to them by a parent, yeah. Sometimes it's an always love or sometimes you go through a rebellion period. Yeah, exactly. And and it's interesting because my dad gave me the love of classic films, but we're not the closest. We don't have okay. a close relationship. So it is that conflict of like, he gave me this, but I don't like that he gave me this. You know? Okay. And so I did after school um, when I was deciding what to do with my life. At first, I wanted to be a film director, actually. And I told everyone I was going to be a director and I was going to do all this great stuff with movies. And then I read a bunch of film books and I figured out that it was hard to be a female director. (laughs) (laughs) But they just weren't as many. It was going to be tough. So I decided to go more into television um, and not go to university. And after that, I really did put aside the classics for a while. Okay. Um, and I focused on television and watching TV shows and trying to keep up with things more currently. And I I also was dating a guy who wasn't so much into classic films. So I would occasionally watch them by myself, sneakily, but <laughs> mainly I would be dragged along to whatever he wanted to watch okay. at the cinema. Um, and then... It, a couple of years later, I got a job working at a movie channel, and I got that because someone at my movie network, well, first, someone at my network that I was working at uh, in television, I was working in the, news, the newsroom, okay. she came up to me and she said, you love movies, you should try for this job at this movie cable network. Okay. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that I, I had told people that I liked movies, it was kind of my <laughs> secret thing. Uh, and, but then once I moved to that cable network, then I was able to really flourish. Okay, then you're like, yeah. yeah and screw. I was like, oh, here are my people, yeah. Okay, and, and was it like a, did it feel freeing to be like, great, have your blockbusters, have your Star Wars, this is this is what I'm about. Yeah, it did. Uh, it did feel that for sure. And because there were people working at the network who were really into classics as well, there were basically three different movie channels. One was new releases, one was independent films, and one was classic films. Okay. So everyone there was working there because they loved movies and they loved a variety of movies. So I was able to sort of relish in my particular niche and thing, love of movies. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like with your thermos of soup <laughs> and staying where you're Which supposed you to know. be watching your movies yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that you're not, you weren't a, a wild child. Um, <laughs> but did you ever get the desire to emulate any of the behaviors you saw in classic films? Um, and not that I, all classic films are sort of like, you know, naughty or whatever, but I mean, mm. they're just, it's a different time and there's, a lot of smoking. There's a lot of being yeah. macho or aggressive is the way to handle a problem. There's a lot of a living room should have a liquor cart. Yes. Uh, so did you ever try to like act out? Yeah, I think that was it was confusing watching a lot of the women in, in the films where um, they were so restricted yeah. and it, you're supposed to be, you know, happy homemaker or or on the flip side, you're supposed to be this sex goddess. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe was really a fascinating figure for me because I grew up watching her movies and I would try and emulate the way she walked and she was, the way she spoke and she was so sexy. But then when I started reading about her life, I realized just how 
sad a figure she was. Yeah. She was this child locked in this body. She just wanted to be loved and be respected, and yeah. she never got that. She was always this object. Uh, so that was a fascinating kind of uh, struggle for me, watching her on screen and then figuring out what she was like in real life. But I also liked the idea of transformation and how she she took herself from being, you know, Norma Jean in Unhappy Home to being this Hollywood starlet. And so out of school, I changed my last name um, because I, I wanted to go to Hollywood one day and I thought Malone sounded a lot more glamorous. My mum's maiden, maiden name and I thought that sounded more glamorous than Alicia Holtzworth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried to kind of emulate that same sort of transformation. Okay. Did you uh, pick Malone had. because it sounded a little bit? It sounded like... a little bit like Monroe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought Alicia Malone sounded glamorous and it kind of rolls off the tongue yeah. a lot easier than Alicia Holdsworth. Do you have a notebook somewhere full of names, of possible names? I probably, I probably do somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I know there was a couple of other ones. Um, this was from my mum's side of things, but... I had a couple of ideas and, uh, you know, for a while there I thought I'd go with an AA. Okay. Yeah, I always liked Alicia, but um, like Marilyn Monroe, you know, the MM kind yeah, of thing. some nice alliteration action. Exactly. Yeah. But I was so fascinated by that idea of, and because I was really shy when I was young, <laughs> shy, nerd, um, kept to herself, liked staying at home a lot. had yeah. a lot of friends, but I just really enjoyed just watching movies by myself. So... I thought that by changing my name and uh, changed my hair color to blonder and I cut it short, that then I would be able to step away from that really shy, awkward child okay. and become someone that could eventually be on television. I mean, I still look at what I do now and I'm like, I, if you told me I was doing this, <laughs> that I'd be here living in Hollywood, speaking on a podcast when, you know, when I was 15, I wouldn't have believed you yeah. because I, I would... I'd go bright red if someone looked at me. I was so shy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Except when I got up on stage to talk about classic films, and then I was able to just tap into that obsession. <laughs> did, you, did you even have a microphone at assembly, or did you like just shout like you're <laughs> a cult leader? Microphone, but I think I, sh I shouted quite a bit. You will watch. I know. I think I got quite angry at times. I don't know why. <laughs> where that came from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you could interview any director of the era, since you get to interview people now, if you could yeah. interview... A Hitchcock or a Billy Wilder, who Ooh. would you want to interview? I think Billy Wilder would be fascinating. There's that great book uh, between Cameron Crowe and Billy Wilder called Conversations with Billy Wilder. Oh, cool. I don't know and, that. Yeah, they really uh, spoke at length and, and basically Cameron interviewing him about all his movies and his style and everyone he's worked with. It's fascinating. And he is a director that was able to do so many different styles, and I so love his comedies, especially um, The Apartment remains one of my favorite classic films of all time. Yeah, he would be great. interesting. I think Hitchcock would be interesting, but I, th I think he would be difficult at the same time <laughs> <Yes. laughs> to And again, there's a great book called Hitchcock Truffaut, which is Francois Truffaut, the um, French New Wave director, interviewing Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. And he was really responsible, Truffaut, of 
reframing Hitchcock as a director that had some worth to him. Because right. everyone kind of thought he just makes these popular, scary films and he's kind of a genre director and there's no art to it. Okay. And Francois, who was at the time working as a film critic, spoke about the everything that he did that was so special in terms of framing the shots perfectly. Okay. Yeah, everything, his acting style, the way he it was the master of suspense and tension. Uh, so I think Hitchcock was much more receptive to him because he really had created this resurgence of love and revere for okay. reverence for Hitchcock. What would you want to do for Billy Wilder? Like if you could, mm. in just magical world, he is suddenly here and you could interview him. And by interviewing him, you could change some perception that the world has about him or that Ooh, he has about himself. Is there some... I mean, maybe Billy Wilder is like, he's loved because yeah. he did a lot of amazing things. And exactly. He, even his failures, his movies that were failures are now... Yeah, considered classic. So yeah, he's doing pretty well. He's doing but... pretty well. I would love to just watch him work okay. and see how he worked with the actors and and see him writing the scripts and how he worked with dialogue. That would be fascinating. But I think he is someone who always had a pretty good reputation. Yeah, Hitchcock would be uh, interesting, and and he's someone I'm conflicted about. Like many of my cinematic heroes, <laughs> yeah. who turn out to not be the nicest people. Yeah, when you know, I've been reading about Tippi Hedren, who worked with him on The Birds, and always have heard about stories that uh, he, you know, put her through hell while making that film, yeah. and had real birds attacking her, and it was just a nightmare. But then she also alleges sexual abuse and and assault, and a few times he had harassed her physically. So. That's really conflicting when yeah. you love someone's work so much and it's hard to separate then the stories you hear about them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he would be an interesting figure to kind of to interview, to kind of at least grapple with my own conflicts about him. Yeah, to see yeah. if you could uh, understand where he is coming yeah, from more. Maybe. Or... Yeah, so, is try it... and untangle that stuff. Yeah. Mm. It is really difficult. I mean, uh, I think that's a very specific example and a very complex one because mm-hmm. it so relates to problems that we have now about, you know, yes. we, I think yeah. culturally we are getting to a place where we are willing to say, uh, hey, if a, if a creator has done something that we as a society deem horrific, well, we're done with you and we're done with your art. Mm-hmm. But with uh, things like classic films more generally, mm. we know that they're sometimes representing things that we don't agree with culturally yes. anymore. Yes. Yeah, like but we uh, still love them as art. Bertolucci came out recently. That whole situation with Last Tango in Paris. I don't know if you heard about that. I don't but, know that um, one. Yeah, so it's a it's a film that was it's it's it is a great film, and it's um it was Marlon Brando's comeback movie okay. after he had been retired for a long time, and it was the first movie for this young female actress. And there's a a rape scene in the film, which was written in the film, and they knew they were shooting it, but. It was Marlon Brando's idea to use a stick of butter oh, and yes. pull it out and to get that. And Bertolucci didn't want to tell the actress because he wanted a real reaction. So it's that kind of conflict of how much it, uh, can you push in the name of art and how much do we excuse yeah. for great art. Um, Woody Allen's another one. That's It's very conflicting and increasingly so, I find, watching his movies 
and seeing the kind of relationships that he always portrays of this really old guy and this older guy compared to the young female love interest. And it gets a little bit icky after a while. I mean, it is difficult, I think, sometimes when uh, the conflict that we learn about in real life is right there on the screen when you look for it. Then it's hard to just go like... And it's also a family matter as well. So it's just so hard to, to unravel like how you feel about their family dynamic and... But obviously, it's anytime there's sexual abuse or assault, it's it's not a good time. Not yeah, a good thing. yeah. But you, in general, are able to with larger with classic films. There's none that you say, I hate the representation of women in this, even though I think it's an amazing film. Yeah, I'm just going to be done with this movie. Or are are you able to be a little bit more of uh, appreciated as a scholar and just recognize mm. I don't like this message. I'm not going to recommend this film. Mm-hmm but I still see its merit. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I do. There's times when I'll watch a film and I'll say I'm uncomfortable in watching this. It doesn't make me feel good. And um, it's it's hor- horrific sometimes the de- depictions of women on film because then that plays into society's view of women. Yeah. But at the same time, I can somewhat separate it and look at the art form and say, well, this is why it's a great movie, just talking from... A, a purely, yeah. <laughs> purely like film uh, appreciation side of things, yeah. and not the personal. But uh, it's—I don't think I can watch Last Tango in Paris again, or it'll take me a while to be able to watch it. Yeah, I think that's that. fine. Yeah, I but I can that. see it's—it is a great film. It's a—it's a work of art. Yeah, but I just, yeah. I personally am not comfortable with it. <laughs> that's just fine because I'm sure you have lots of good recommendations yeah. for films that aren't full of horror. So many <laughs> that fans can enjoy. So many. Uh, I also wanted to ask you. Uh, because I think the the stars are such a, a part of the classic film mm-hmm. era and their personalities, and a lot of times great actors, but continue to kind of play similar, somewhat similar roles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so if you could have a drink with any actor Ooh. from that era, I assume that you you uh, are comfortable with going out and going to a bar and drinking now. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I do. I do get out of my house occasionally. Excellent. I went to a couple of birthday parties the other day. Actually, I was very proud of myself. I didn't <laughs> say no to any of them. Um, I would love to go and have a drink with Cary Grant. Okay. He is someone who is a fascinating figure. Um, of course, there was a lot of rumors about his uh, sexual orientation and no idea whether that's true or not because the great thing about the stars at the time was that there weren't there weren't the tabloid magazines uh there, there was a fascination about them and their lives but it wasn't to the degree of today where you, you get access to them with social media right so the thing that i love about classic film stars is that there's that mystique around them so i would love to have a drink with him and really talk to him and see what he was really like because he is someone that had his persona and he did it in every film and it was very successful. Yeah. But that's something that was kind of great about classic films is that they did have this distinct persona. So they were very uh, recognisable and people loved them for their characters that they portrayed. Also, movies were written for them specifically, for that persona. And I think there was something great about that uh, where all the stars were very, very different from each other. Um, and especially with uh, women on screen, it's, I think, offered even more opportunities for women because they were given such great personas to play, strong personas. But Cary Grant, and, and he's dashing as well. He's a gentleman and he always <laughs> plays the love interest. And I think he would be really lovely to yeah. talk to. Would you want him to be Cary Grant as you expect him to be? Or would you <laughs> yeah. want to crack the Cary Grant surface and find out something just 
like get him to do something very not Cary Grantish. Yeah, I I think I would love to crack that and see what what he was really like underneath. Yeah. Um, because it was an affectation that he would put on with the way he spoke and and the air of uh, confidence he had. But something that was great about him was he always let his co-stars shine. You know, okay. always made them look better with his performance. Uh, but I would love to see him just like relaxed and <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth Alicia yeah, yeah. Tell, like I would love to sit down with him and tell me everything about everyone you've worked with yeah I want to know the facts about him I like imagining him in like a big loud sports bar <laughs> yeah. with modern music and just like not a classy environment at all just like <laughs> pst, 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 like dance music going behind him and see if he's yeah. still Cary Grant yes. nice and smooth um, <laughs> I was curious what you think kind of about Hollywood now versus Hollywood then, it seems like right now, stars' power is diminishing in Mm -hmm. terms of box office. And obviously, stars were powerful back then, but then there was still the studio system. Mm. Do you think we're moving back toward a little, a different version of studio system with uh, things like all of the shared cinematic universes? Yeah. Yeah, because back in the studio system, each studio did have a very distinct uh, calling card. So the Universal Pictures were about the monster films. Um, the Paramount was about comedies. So it's interesting now the fact that movie stars are not bringing people to the box office anymore. We just saw that with The Mummy yeah. and Tom Cruise and Baywatch with The Rock. If people aren't interested in the matter of the film and if the film it doesn't live up to expectations, then people aren't going to spend the money. Whereas before, I think you would go and see a Tom Cruise movie. Right. And now it's all about the brand. And I think a lot of the stars in the superhero world have discovered this as well when they've tried to do other projects. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been surprised that people haven't gone to see their other things or people just want to see them as those characters. It will be interesting to see how Hollywood develops from this. Uh, it is almost a studio system once again where the studios have the power and they have the brands and the brands have the power and it's all about marketing these days. Yeah. So the marketers are very much involved. It's not the screenwriters coming to pitch their stories anymore. It's marketing, taking a toy and reverse engineering how can we make this a movie or taking a book or a different property, which they've always done, but never to this extent. Yeah. The cinematic universe thing, I mean, it's out of control. (laughs) Does everything need to have a cinematic universe? I don't know. It seems confusing to me, and I work in it to to keep it all straight in my head of who is what and who does what. Definitely the studios have the power these days, not the stars. I'm a big geek, but I love the cinematic universe, the one that has taken time to build itself because it feels organic. And then I'm just, as a comedian, just, yeah, Marvel. And then I'm just, I'm fascinated with MonsterVerse and... uh, I know, the, the uh, dark universe. In the dark universe, and it just, it really does. I have a high threshold for, for branding. My home is uh, flow, overflowing with action figures. Like, <laughs> I got no problem with any of that, you know? Star Wars is tattooed on my soul. I got no problem <laughs> with any of that, but watching people try to force it. Yeah. Like, you need that kernel of truth uh, to hook people. And then you can market the hell out of it, and I don't care. Exactly. I thought that they kind of shot themselves in the foot by announcing that they were doing a dark universe before they even saw how the mummy did. Yeah. And I think it's smart to, I mean, the monsters, they they were literally the first cinematic universe. Yeah. The universal monsters. The and they first were connected. Time they they, did that. Yeah. yeah, they met and everything. Yeah. Exactly. But um, I think now, yeah, forced, as you said, that's a good word, that they're just trying to force these things because they see it as being a long-term investment, a, thing, a way to get audiences in. 
But Marvel was so successful at it, like you said, because it did feel very organic. Yeah. And slow. It took its time. <laughs> slow and torturous. <laughs> so do you think that uh, since we're kind of back in the studio system, that stars should look back to old stars? Should Scarlett Johansson not try to stretch into a million different amazing roles? Yeah. Just strategically, should she be like, no, I'm the Scarlett Johansson type and I only play Scarlett Johansson roles? And I. It's interesting. It's, it's such a complicated issue because on one hand as an actor you want to play of course a variety of roles yeah. and particularly for women who are so pigeonholed you know even Scarlett said recently she took Rough Night because she had done so many roles that was about saving the world yeah. being the strong woman that she never gets offered comedies so when she was offered a comedy she said I want to do that but there's an argument to be made and Molly Haskell who's a great film critic of the 70s she made this argument at the time and it was very controversial in the film industry to say this, but she said it was so much better for women back then when they did have these personas because people knew Joan Crawford and they knew Betty Davis and they had these strong personalities and they you knew what you were getting when you went to see a Joan Crawford picture. Right. She would be front and centre and she was the reason why you went and saw that film. Whereas in the 70s, which people thought of a, as a great time for women because it was the, the second wave feminism and people were really talking about women, yeah. particularly women in film, and you started to get these kind of neo-women's films where it was uh, dysfunctional women exploring broken marriages and their relationships. But she was saying actually it was better back then when they did get multiple roles for being themselves and, and for being this persona. Sometimes the persona was prescribed to them. Yeah. You're going to be like this and I'll make you over <laughs> to look like this and that that's your role and stay in it. But then they had a long career because of it, because they were playing the same type. Same time, you have people like Marilyn who didn't want to play the dumb blonde, but that was all she could do. Yeah. So she had no chance to play anything else. So it's it's complicated and it's, um I don't know, the, the right answer to it. I just wish that it was focused more on, on characters um, and original characters versus the same old cookie cutter things that we've seen time time before. And I do think with movies trying to appeal to such a wide audience with yeah. international that sometimes things get watered down, more simplified, and it's about the spectacle rather than the story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely uh, some spectacle issues. That said, is there any classic film that you think has a great story that deserves to be retold for new generations. Mm. And you, is there any classic film where you're like that would be awesome? And like, if it was remade. Yeah, there's so many that have such great stories, and that's the reason why they're classics, and the reason why people return to them time and time again. I love All About Eve. Okay. Which is a really interesting look at uh, women and entertainment and competition between women. And I watched it at again recently, and I thought that could be remade. And some people say it is kind of was well, kind of remade with Showgirls. <laughs> it's a very different uh, version of it, which I can kind of see. It's like I don't always that. someone younger than you coming up the stairs that might like push you down. Um, but uh, I think that's a story that definitely resonates and something that could be updated to today and yeah. also give a chance to a lot of women to play complex and interesting roles and some unlikable roles at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I also saw a great film again. Uh, which I think people should just see anyway. It's called Dance, uh, Dance Girl Dance. 
and it's directed by Dorothy Arzner. In the late 1930s, 1940s, she was the only female filmmaker working in Hollywood at the time. And it's a really sharp critique about women in entertainment. It's about these uh, two female dancers and they end up having to strip for money, uh, but one just wants to be a ballerina and she gets heckled from the audience. It's got so many layers to it that I think that could be really interesting. Yeah. You take that story and then update it or just watch it now. And it was kind of film that didn't do well at the time, then it got rediscovered decades later and people realise the value of it now. Cool. Very sharp, biting critique. Awesome. I know I talk a lot about women in in film, but they're always the stories that I personally relate to. Well, yeah, and there's the stuff that that, uh, sometimes people don't know as well, right? Yeah. It's what you have been immersed in for a while, I imagine, working on this book. (laughs) Um, I just saw Laura in the theater. Oh, yeah, beautiful film. Yeah, which I I like Laura and I had seen it a couple times, but it was amazing to see it uh, with a huge crowd, like much better than I had thought it would be. Mm -hmm. So do you think there are any classic films that are really designed to be I mean obviously they're all made to be seen with an audience but there are there going way back to your roots as a a, a film club captain uh, (laughs) (laughs) president uh, where you were trying to convince a room full of your peers to give it a shot is there a specific classic film that if you showed it with an audience instead of just seeing it late at night Mm -hmm. on TCM that suddenly it would explode and people would see this is what this is I love the screwball comedies and I love watching them with a crowd because I think watching comedy in a shared environment yeah. is so special when everybody laughs at the same time. So uh, The Apartment does get shown a lot, but that is one that I keep mentioning because it's one of my all-time favorites, starring Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine. It's a really sweet romantic film with a lot <laughs> of funny jokes in there. Okay. Um, I also love uh, Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. Um, with uh, Catherine Hepburn. And so there's there's quite a lot of those kind of films, but any screwball comedy I find, I try and think of a more specific one. Um, uh, yeah, The Apartment. The Apartment's really okay. great. I'm fascinated that I understand I why that. The Apartment would be like one of your number one yeah. films, but your immediate verbs are, are sweet. Yeah, I know. It's quite sad. Because it's it's the, very sad. You got uh, talk of suicide and, uh, yeah, attempted suicide and um, <laughs> unrequited love. Yeah. Um, I find it sweet in, <laughs> I think it's Jack Lemmon's character for me is so sweet. Yeah. He has this childlike innocence about him. He gives away his apartment key to his bosses so they can use it to have affairs. Uh, and it takes him a long time to say no. Yeah. And the moment when he figures out how to say no and stand up for himself, I think that's a really powerful moment. And then towards the end, I mean, them together, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, yeah. that's when it gets quite sweet. But it is funny that I say that. The I seem to like sweet. a lot of yeah. dark films and a lot of <laughs> sad films, and I'm always like, oh, it's really cute. It's so sweet. <laughs> well, that's like, nice. what? No. I think people... I, yeah, I think I've sold a few people actually on the apartment by saying it's a, it's this really sweet <laughs> romantic comedy, and they're like, oh, she tries to commit suicide? What? <laughs> it's a light romantic what comedy. Did get, what did you get me into? <laughs> yeah, The Apartment is definitely one of the ones where, like, 
oh, I I like this because it feels really relatable. Yes, like, so oh, relatable. Oh, I'm a Jack Lemmon. Oh, no. I know. I'm a Jack Lemmon. <laughs> what am I going to do? Seeing all the shots and everything on, on the big screen, um, yeah. I think is something special. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so you did initially- Oh, His Girl Friday. Love His Girl oh, Friday. Oh, His Girl Friday is great. That's also one to watch with the crowd because of how fast the dialogue is. It's great to see it on the big screen. Um, you really have to pay attention to the film. And I think sometimes when you're watching at home, you might get distracted by what's on Twitter or something else. <laughs> so I think seeing it in a big crowd when they laugh at the right times. Um, and that was a film I watched when I was young. And I loved Rosalind Russell as Hilde Johnson. And I saw her as this fiery reporter. And I thought, hey, I can do anything. Yeah. I can be a reporter too. Yeah. You know, it was really powerful and, and unlike any other female character I had seen up till that point. And um, she, like many other great female characters, was originally written as a male and then switched to a woman. Oh, really? Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So Would you great. ever try to Hilde Johnson, someone you're interviewing, and just like on, sp- <laughs> on purpose speak incredibly fast and just yeah. attack, attack it? If I could. I would love to speak that way. I, I can never keep up. I'm you must have slow. tried no, knowing tried. and loving these movies. Yeah, I've tried and I cannot do it. I can do probably like two lines and I'm like, okay. I need to learn her dialogue. And then if I learned it off by heart, then I could probably do it. But I can't come up with it. My head doesn't work that fast. Okay. My brain. (laughs) So you could just say a bunch of nonsense words fast. I'm Alicia Malone, banana, cockpit, ah. (laughs) Uh, We talked uh, about TCM being your introductory point Mm -hmm. and that it's not just the classic movies. It is a little bit the experience of getting those intros. Because yes. they, those hosts all kind of teach you how to appreciate the movies. Yes, that's right. right. So, well, TCM, we didn't have it in Australia. So growing up was Bill Collins for okay. me. Uh, when I moved over to America, I didn't know anyone. I came with no friends, no job prospects. I just moved into an apartment with a friend of a friend of a friend from Australia. Okay. So he had cable. So I was at home a lot just emailing everyone I knew and trying to get a job, (laughs) hustling away. And I would put on TCM because it felt like home to me, watching those classic films. Even just having it on in the background felt very comforting. And that was where I saw, of course, Robert Osborne, who I knew about from Australia because his influence was so wild, so wide. But seeing him in action was really nice. He's like a – he was like a father figure, you know, we just lost him recently, but he – He's the reason why I think so many people have such fond connection to Turner Classic Movies because he would explain the movies in a very friendly way. I think sometimes classic films can seem daunting. Yeah. You know, you don't know quite how to get in there. Um, And he would explain very simply why it was worth watching, what he connected to personally, and often would have his own stories about meeting the stars or being friends with them. And he would just bring so much uh, authority to it, but in a really kind way. Yeah, it really felt like You felt like you knew him, yeah. And yeah. and then you saw Ben Mankiewicz, who's the current host on TCM, and he is so funny and he obviously has a long history with his family being involved in Hollywood, uh, but he had a very different style again. And now you have Tiffany Vasquez has another style and she's really cool. So I would always see like, Robert as being like my dad and Ben as being like my big brother. 
So one day I was sitting there and I pulled out my little goal book and I wrote one day I wanted to work with TCM. <laughs> so you do have a, I you do. do write things in a notebook. I was oh, right. Yes, okay. Absolutely. You have a goal book. That's I awesome. I have a goal book. I have many little notebooks. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I wrote one day I wanted to work with TCM. I didn't know how that would happen, okay. but no, now it has. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, I wanted to ask you if you could have a TCM host, a specific yeah. one or kind of an imaginary one, introduce your life. Like oh. somebody was going to see a little documentary about Alicia Malone. Yeah. What would the intro be like? What would they say to ease people into the story of your life? Oh, yes, you ask such good questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, to ease into the, yeah, I would, I mean, I would love them probably to tell the anecdotes of uh, being the film club president okay. and having the long-time love of movies. And I think I would want them just to get across the fact that movies have meant so much to me in my life. And I specifically don't call myself an expert. I just am a film lover. Okay. Um, and to try to weave in the reason. So I try to do that as well with classic films. Um, try to encourage people to watch them and make it not daunting or pretentious. Yeah. That it's, it's fun and interesting. So I'd want them to... Um, then talk about, you know, why they love classic movies and, and maybe there's a connection there between okay. them and myself. But I realized recently I need to get some other hobbies because it would, so my <laughs> documentary would all just be about loving movies because that's all I do. Yeah. Well, you also report. <laughs> but yeah, but I love them to talk about moving to the US and how that's always been a dream of mine to come to Hollywood. Yeah. And now getting to work in the fields that I love, it's a dream come true. That's really cool. What would it be called? What would be the title <laughs> of your... Uh, well, someone suggested when I did one writing course and I would always... It was in took place in Paris and went to Paris for a month to do a writing course, which cool. was in English. But I would always have these misadventures because I was... I'm so smiley and happy all the time. And uh, so people would get the wrong idea about me. Old men would think that I was falling in love with them, you know, and they'd just follow me around the streets. So my friend said to me that my, if I ever wrote a book about myself, it should be called The Girl Who Smiled Too Much. <laughs> so we'll go with that. That's Girl great. Who Smiled Too Much. That's great. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. These are questions I ask everybody on all the podcasts uh, just to get different levels of obsession. <laughs> Do you think about classic films every day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you like suddenly did a, a, a change in your career, you would they would still be oh, yes. such a part of you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's always in my head. When I when I have a break in between things of like whether I can fit a movie in for the break or you know if, if I have plans that evening, kind of secretly hoping hoping that the person will cancel. Yeah, <laughs> I can just stay at home. And if I stay at home, I'll be like, okay, which movie am I going to watch? Okay. Yeah. Are you good at deciding which movie fast, or do you no, sometimes I, lose I, your movie time? Yeah, I agonize over it sometimes. Sometimes I know exactly what I want, and I have to write down a list of things I want to revisit or things okay. I've never seen to go to because sometimes it'll take me so long that there goes my movie time and now it's time <laughs> to get it. to bed. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. 
when people walk into your home, can they immediately tell that you're obsessed with classic <laughs> films? Yes. I have so many film books everywhere and film posters on my walls and uh, movies displayed, the Criterion Collection. So, okay. yes, they definitely can. So outside of so you have books, do you say posters? Books, posters, and yeah. then DVDs, uh, mainly Criterion Collection DVDs. And I just went to New York and I got to visit their office and I took 21 films. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, said I, I imagine, could take some. Yeah. I was like, oh, here I go. <laughs> you were just stuffing them in a trench and coat. I was like, oh, I should have taken more, but wow. at the same time, I got a lot. That's amazing. So they're on prominent display. When you walk into my apartment, you can see that straight away. <laughs> okay, your conversation piece of your yeah, recently I have films. so many film books, it's just overflowing. Okay. do you? So that makes sense because that's uh, those are the natural ways to express interest in classic films, the mm-hmm. actual media of the films, yeah. posters, that's a byproduct of what the movies are, and then yep. books, you're studying it. Do you have anything else, or do you have a desire for anything else? Do you want oh, like yeah. a candle that's shaped like Cary Grant, <laughs> or a Marilyn Monroe bathrobe? Or... Well, I just got to go to, so one of the birthday parties I went to was Jessie Moulton, who's the daughter of Leonard Moulton. Oh, okay. And Jessie's such a wonderful girl. I love her so much. And I went to their house, and Leonard took me on a tour of the house. Oh, wow. They have so much uh, movie memorabilia, little things like film canisters to actual props from movies to signed pictures. And when I was there, I thought I would love to start collecting actual movie memorabilia. And he goes to auctions. He has people looking out for collectibles for him to to have, to buy. And he tells me the story behind each one. He has like a telegram from Buster Keaton to another comedian, you know, saying, I hope uh, you the audience drops dead at your at your screening tonight. If so, I'll provide the caskets and stuff like that. And he would tell me, well, I got that in this place when I went to this country or I found this here. I love the stories behind them. Yeah. So that started thinking that I should really start to invest in movie memorabilia and if I could actually collect things from okay. movies, props, um, I would love uh, things actually from old Hollywood yeah, I would love that. And then that could be an investment thing. Yeah. So you want the things, though, that touch the actual movie. You yeah. don't have any interest in, like, marketing. You don't want no. the Citizen Kane action figure diorama. <laughs> no, I know. Okay. And I do love, you know, when I go to visit Ken Knapsack, for example. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I see all of his Star Wars stuff that he has, and, and he has that same attachment to it as Lana does to his stuff, where yeah. he goes, well, I bought this here. And I got that there, and I just need to get this one to collect to the set. But for me, I think it would be more exciting to have something that came from actual set. Because I think there is that disconnect. Maybe it's because I'm from Australia or maybe because it's another time, but feels almost like a dream, like a fantasy, something that didn't actually happen. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's so far away, so far removed to to how I grew up and to the time that I was born in. Yeah. But to have something that is from a movie that I watched, I think would make it feel real, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big uh, Sinatra fan, um, and I went to uh, – they had a, a great display at the Billboard Museum. Oh, cool. Um, and it had a lot of the kind of things you'd expect, like a shooting script, and that was pretty powerful or whatever, and it did like have a film reel from like The Man with the Golden Arm. Yes. Um, but it just had his whatever license you needed in Hoboken in those days to say like I'm old enough to ride the ferry. <laughs> That's cool. And that was a that was like the gut punch. That was like he he is was a human. Yeah, he like, was not real. just a star because like the film memorabilia gets into oh it's a star and. 
there's byproducts of the stuff they made. But to be like a human, yes. just a thing, yeah, a little card to take a boat. That was I amazing. Love that. Uh, would you ever get a tattoo of the TCM logo? Uh, probably, yeah. Nice. I have 12 tattoos. Wow. And I actually want to get more film stuff because surprisingly I have words and, and other things. I have a horse, I have a bird, I have a butterfly that I got when I was 18. Um, <laughs> but I don't have too much film stuff. So I would love to get, yeah, I think I would get a TCM logo, probably like an old school one. Yeah. Um, I'd put that somewhere. I'm pretty free and easy with tattoos. <laughs> it I sounds like them. it. My mom's always like, are you sure you're done? Like, can you stop now? <laughs> and I just got, um, you can see it over here on this ankle. It's got Mia uh, Wallace from oh, nice. Pulp Fiction dancing, twisting. And then funnily enough, just after I got this, I was in Cannes and Uma Thurman walked past me. Oh, wow. So I wouldn't, I don't usually bother stars, but I thought I have to show her this. So I said, ah, oh, Uma, I just want to show you my new Mia tattoo. She got so excited. She took out her phone. She said, can I take a photo of this to send to Quentin? Oh, wow. And then she said, can I take a photo of you to send to Quentin so he knows who it belongs to? <laughs> And so I was like, sure, Emma Thurman, you can take a photo of me, that's fine. But I'd love more film tattoos. Yeah. That's what I want to get. Would you get any strategic tattoos to try to have an encounter like that again? <laughs> yeah. Like, I will now use this to stop someone. I know. It makes <laughs> me think that I should because, you know, I should get, like, something from Robert Redford Films the next time I interview him, <laughs> I can say, look, I'm a real fan of yours. Yeah. Um, I think that because, again, you know, a lot of my heroes have uh, passed on. Yeah. A lot of the... The, my favorite films are no longer that it's great to when you have that connection. And I know, say, Tiffany Smith with her Lord of the Rings tattoo, she has that connection when she interviews people from Lord of the Rings. She'll okay. be like, look, I got look, Elvish. And people I'm go, oh, you're a, you're a real fan. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious, this is a side question. Uh, you said you grew up shy. Yes. And obviously you've gotten past that, but you're still happy at home alone. Mm -hmm. yep. how, how, how does that intersect for you with tattoos? Because I mm. think uh, this is a very stereotypical thought, mm -hmm. but I think of tattoos as uh, people who are like, I'm literally wearing what I love on my body and I'm blasting it out to the world. Yeah. Which to me, it seems a little opposite from shy. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. And I do get a little, sh like I like showing some off, but I do get a little shy about people going, what does that mean? And what is that there? And what <laughs> right. have you got there? Uh, because some some of the stuff is is personal to me. Like I've got Dream, Explore, Discover from a Mark Twain quote that I liked. But uh, yeah, that is interesting. I I haven't really thought about that before. I'm definitely an introvert, which people don't understand because I can get on stage and yeah. speak in front of a thousand people, and it doesn't bother me. But there's a lot of times when I just don't want anyone to look at me and I just go and hide <laughs> yeah. in my, my little apartment and just recharge before I can go out and speak on camera live and it doesn't bother me again. Um, so, yeah, I guess it is more of an extroverted thing. For me, I like the idea. I think it goes back to that idea of transformation. Okay. And that idea of – and I've, I've often done that when I have gone through a bad time I like the idea, and I've done that with my changing my hair too. Yeah, <laughs> that I like that idea that I look different now to when the bad thing happened. Okay, things are different now because I have a new tattoo or I've got a new haircut. Oh, I Does see. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's like dividing a, a line. Exactly, looking at a piece oh. of skin and going, "That will never be empty again." Um, and so a lot of times, like I got a little, I got a little um, 
a smiley face after I had a really bad breakup. Okay. Because I and then I was like, I'm different now. I'm a different person because I have a smiley face and I'll remember to smile. So I think that's where it comes from. Wow, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. Uh, which my therapist would have a fear field day with. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I have a smiley face now. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally different. Well, it's not really how it works. <laughs> also, the apartment is a sweet light film. It's light. Yeah, it's so sweet. That's great. <laughs> if the only way you could watch one of your favorite classic films again, let's say The Apartment, if the only way you could watch The Apartment again was by stealing it from the TCM vault, would you steal it? <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was pretty fast. Would. I yeah. probably would. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably, and I think I could get away with a lot because I look very innocent. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could just sneak it out and right. no one would suspect me. But probably would if that was the only way to watch it again because that is a film and I have quite a few of those movies. Rear Window is another one. Singing in the Rain is another one um, where I'll put it on Casablanca, yeah. put it on and just it'll be incidentally comforting in the background while I'm working. Okay. I just love to have it playing while I'm getting ready, you know, for the occasional times I leave the house. <laughs> I'm painting a great picture of myself. But... <laughs> I think so. I think it's great. It's nice and honest. Uh, okay, so you would take it because yes. you, just, you have to have the apartment. Yes. Because you can't get ready without it. I can't get ready to go out in the town. Uh, cool. <laughs> if the last remaining print of a classic film that you liked was taken by a bear... <laughs> Would you try to get it back from the bear? Pro- uh, probably not. <laughs> okay. I'm scared of bears. <laughs> Understandably so. That's yeah. <laughs> what makes the question have power. Yes. Um, yeah. I but mean, if it really was, like a bear has the print of Casablanca. I'd probably just try. Be like, okay. And then as soon as the bear growled, I would run for my life. <laughs> 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 I'd probably just try like sneak up. See if I could just quickly, you know, just take it when it wasn't looking. But uh, yeah, no, okay. I would like get the hell out of there. But you, it sounds like you might make a tiny effort. I would. I'd make an effort. Okay. <laughs> but I would definitely not want to be eaten by a bear. Right. And then you might need to get a new tattoo to get yourself past yes, that I'll unfortunate be like, bear experience. experience. <laughs> not of a bear, of something opposite from a bear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could not watch a musical again, a specific musical, we'll say Singing in the Rain because yeah. you love it. If you couldn't watch Singing in the Rain again until you mastered and performed the choreography for the entire film. Ooh. Would you go through that process? I would, because I want to learn that. <laughs> I would love to be able to do the, the the scene from Make Him Laugh. Where I've tried to do the thing where you go up the wall. Oh, I've tried that too. It that doesn't doesn't end well. Yeah, I, I mean, can't. I was trying to do it for physical comedy purposes. So yeah. I mean, the falling kind of works, but it's <laughs> still very God. painful. Still so painful, <laughs> and I just can't fathom. I think it's one of those things you have to believe you can do it as well as having the athletic athletic ability to do it. Yeah. But uh, it's one of the things you can't half-heartedly run towards the wall. It doesn't work. Um, so, but Did I you would try to do it like in an that. apartment or do, were you at oh, a gym? Oh, yeah. I've tried, yeah, when I was younger in a house. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few times and it, that hurt a lot. Okay. Uh, but I would love to know, and I've tried to learn the choreography for Good Morning. Yeah. And I've done that a couple of times. Um or not as good as the the stars, and then uh, singing in the rain, the the big musical number. Yeah. So I would I would do that just so I get the experience of learning it. If I had a proper, I'm assuming I have a proper t- teacher. Yeah, it's not like, a bear or anything. It's an actual bear. teacher. Okay, good, good. A not bear teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Bear so teacher. you have learned. You've is this self taught or have you self-taught. gone? Self taught. Okay. I mean, pause, play, pause, play, pause, play. I, I've done that a lot with <laughs> many movies, <laughs> including the very beginning to bring it on. 
But, oh, really? Uh, yeah. I've tried to, and, and then music videos, I used to do that all the time with Jack okay. Jackson kind of stuff. But um, definitely musicals. I used to try to learn all the dance moves and, okay. and the songs. I'm not a good singer, but <laughs> I would try. Yeah. Did you want to be a dancer at any point, or was this uh, just, just a way? I always loved it. Okay. Always loved it. Um, and I did do dance classes when I was younger. And, okay. And I still do some dance at, at home to YouTube videos <laughs> because I want to do dance classes again. But the thing about LA is that everyone's really good. Yeah. And takes it very seriously. So I'm just too intimidated to try out here. I might do like a tap class or something. Okay. But I, I see some of those hip hop dancers. Oh my God, they're so good. Yeah. Well, my yeah. wife's a dancer and she's been going to some oh, intro cool. classes. So maybe yeah. we can uh, see if she has any good recommendations for yes. classes that are not Please. terrifying. That's not like, you know, they're so, so cool. Yeah. That I would just be like, um, bye. Back <laughs> home I go to watch this movie. <laughs> I can do this on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Is there a noise you can make to sum up your obsession with classic films? Mm. I would say it's like a, because ah, it <laughs> makes me feel so relaxed. Okay. And nostalgic and home. And that's the thing about the TCM Classic Film Festival that I love so much. And I imagine it's the same for people who go to Star Wars, Celebration, yeah. Comic-Con. When you find your people yeah, and you're like, there's these, there they are. I'm not so weird after all. There's other people <laughs> like me, just the same. And you, you can get into conversations about, you know, pre-code movies and like get really deep in classic films. And then just being with the audience, watching a classic film on the big screen, it does feel like, ha, ah, like I'm home. Yeah. And I, I'm relaxed. I don't have anywhere else I have to be right now. I can just enjoy this movie and this little escape in yeah. this world that they're taking me on. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Is there any tension at a film festival like that about classic movies where people are wanting to be right about something. Not really, or which is, is the amazing thing. Yeah. It's celebrating all levels of love for classics in a way that many other fandoms don't. Okay. I think a lot of fandoms are quite competitive mm-hmm. with what you know and um and will school you and be like you you didn't know about this, you know, from this and you're not a real fan. But uh I found especially at the classic film festival, it's just such a celebration. Okay. And everyone's just so happy to be there and to be around <laughs> other people who yeah. love their things. Um that they it's just so positive and so exciting and uh, the amazing thing about TCM is just seeing the people that have such a love for the brand and the network. Yeah. And they know the producers who work behind the scenes. They know oh, the wow. programming people. Like, they they love the whole network. And okay. And that's so unique because I don't think it happens with any other TV network. Mm-mm. People love shows, but as for an entire network, it's something yeah. so special. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I rate people's obsessions on a scale of one to seven. <laughs> oh God. Seven being the highest. I don't know, what am I going to get? Like a ten? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting how people uh, approach this because sometimes people feel like, well, I should be a seven because I'm unobsessed, right? Because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I try to give it some flavor. So I'll say out of seven apartments, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that you're like 5.5 okay, apartments. Cool. cool. I end up so, giving that a lot, but okay. that's the way it is. All right, uh, cool. Because clearly okay. it's a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. But you do have other interests. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously dance. <laughs> yeah, dance at home to YouTube videos. Yeah, tattoos, yeah, that's true. indie tattoos, films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's you right. do have other interests and you do have a, a few like, I, I really love it and I want to experience it in this way. 
but I have no interest and experience in it this way. Yes. Like yeah. you would not buy those action figures. <laughs> no, yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so good. Uh, good. I'm glad because I was worried that I was like, oh, a bit too obsessed and I need to find some other interests. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think okay, you're good. doing well. <laughs> uh, so can you plug your book again? Like exactly when yeah. is it coming out? Where can people get it? All that kind of stuff? Yes, it's called Backwards and in Heels, and it is coming out on the 1st of August. It's a look at the history of women in Hollywood right from the start of cinema till now. I did some great uh, interviews for it with Gina Davis and Ava DuVernay. I spoke to Rachel Morrison, who's the cinematographer on Black Panther. Oh, wow. Um, And also Nicole Perlman, who helped to write Guardians of the Galaxy, and she's working on Captain Marvel right now. So I've tried to... Look at an array of women, past, present, from different fields. Okay. To executives as well as uh, producers and um, editors. So there's a whole bunch in there. And I've kind of designed it so you can flip to a story that interests you or you could read the whole thing. Okay. Start to finish, if you like. Cool. Uh, but it's available on Amazon right now to pre-order. Nice, nice. And uh, where can people find you social media-wise? I'm at Alicia Malone on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, YouTube is Movies Are My Jam. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you create that channel? <laughs> Not that long ago. I, I always say, like, indie movies are my jam. This is my jam. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. It's Yeah, I'm not cool. being not cool is my jam so I understand Uh, here's some quick plugs for this show and then we'll have our final questions you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw you can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast also check out my pop culture station on Anchor called Headcanon for info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and other weird comedy adventures you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com you can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month you get access to our monthly patron only bonus episode where my wife Sarah and I chat about something that we are obsessed with this month. I think it's going to be Wonder Woman. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash Joseph Scrimshaw. All right. I loved Wonder Woman. I really loved Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It was great on so many levels. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is a big geek. Just it's such a clean, well-constructed film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So our final questions. Don't have anything to do with your obsession, but they can if you want. If you could fly, but you had to hold an object in your hand to do it, what object would it be? You had to hold an object in your hand to do it. Yeah. Um, so something that would help you fly or something that you just love to take with you? <laughs> yeah, either one. It could be <laughs> something you want to take with you. I kind of um, like that idea of like, no, I don't want to be without this. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is my poster. In case I die, <laughs> I want to take something with me. Um, fly, take one object with you. Um to help me, uh, can I choose the the boots from Astro Boy, the jet boots? <laughs> sure. They always looked really fun to me when I was young. It would be redundant because you can already fly. Oh, but... but it can just give me some more power. Yeah, okay. And they look cool at the same time. I like that. Then people wouldn't ask you, like, how can you fly? I'm like, well, I got these boots. I got boots, yeah. yeah. And then just, like, <laughs> take off really suddenly. <laughs> nice. If you could trap someone else on a desert island with only one album to listen to, what would you trap them with? Oh, album to listen to. Yeah. Um, trap them with... Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not cruel. Because <laughs> I, I love, you know, your Britney Spears and stuff, but someone might not like that. Well, maybe they can learn. Um, but I would trap them with... 
I think I would trap them with a like a classical classical music, one of those like top one hundred greatest classical music okay. tracks because it's soothing. Yeah. And um I think stimulating. Yeah. And lots to explore. And there's at least about. gonna be a one track that's like really angry at the world and they can just sit yeah. on the beach and scream at the sea. <laughs> exactly. And then there'll be the nice softer tracks too. Yeah. I love those kind of albums I put them on when I'm driving to give myself some calm. Understandable. Road rage. Needed in Los Angeles. Yes. The final question for everyone on the podcast is what is happiness? What is happiness? I've thought about this a lot and I've thought about, you know, what is success and what okay. is happiness. And um, happiness to me is um, it's now just feeling, uh, how do I say it? It's it's feeling like safe and comfortable and um, relaxed. Okay. And I think that's what I feel when I'm at home watching movies. <laughs> um, it's it's getting it from inside rather than from external things. But yeah. it's when you can feel really comfortable in yourself and where you are in life. Yeah. So uh, a lack of doubt up to yeah, a point? Yeah, lack of doubt, lack of fear. Yeah. Uh, fear is healthy, of course. But yeah. if I describe my happiest moments, it's when I feel content. Yeah. And... Uh, just calm. Yeah. Yeah. Content and calm. Yeah, and nice. in the present moment, I think I, I often worried about the future or the past, but just yeah. being present, noticing things around you that make you smile. Okay. <laughs> so just calm, present in the moment, yeah. watching the apartment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is happiness. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. This is one of my favorite quotes from The Apartment because we've talked about that film a lot and I love it. Shut up and deal.